0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: We have a verse that I want to use as a basis to launch into the life of Moses, and I'm going to try tonight, and it's going to be tough to do it is to give a synopsis of the life of moses and i have in my notes the title of tonight's message not just moses but moses the man who was god's friend and i take that uh, from this 11th verse of exodus chapter 33 and will only read just half the verse when we find the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. That's a pretty good uh, description of the man whom God thought enough of to speak to him as one friend would speak to another. You'll see uh, some instances in which Uh, God spoke to Moses and what God had to say to Moses and what Moses said back to God. There was quite a conversation at times between the two. But in order to really get the the life of uh, Moses, we have to really start in the second chapter of the book of Exodus, and I'm going to try to bring you through it. Uh, Real quickly, but I know that I'm going to have to leave out big sections of it because I want to simply give an an overview of of Moses. You remember that last week we dealt with uh, Joseph, how that he was taken down into Egypt by uh, the selling, his selling by his brothers, and and he grew up in uh, in uh, the house of Potiphar was his servant and finally became second in command of all of Egypt because of the pending seven years of drought and then seven years of good and seven years of drought, in that order. And that uh, his father sent his brothers down to Egypt to buy grain. And finally they moved there and the whole tribe, 70 of family moved down to Egypt and occupied the area of Egypt called Goshen. They were, that nation, that family was in Egypt for 400 years. and They multiplied from a group of 70 over that 400 year period into uh, some millions, perhaps better than 2 million. We only know that there were 600,000 men that came out of Egypt, and if you assume that there were 600,000 women, you're up to a million two, plus all the children. So there was quite a, a group of them came out. That's a pretty good multiplication rate. But Joseph is dead, and one of the men who were of the house of Levi, you will find in the very beginning of the second chapter, had a boy that should have been killed because Pharaoh began to look at this tremendous increase in the population of the Hebrew people, and he began to be afraid of them because he thought they might join one of his enemies whenever there was a war and uh, they could certainly overcome Egypt, and so he put hardships upon them. And he instructed the handmaidens who attended the women at time of birth that uh, they were to, to destroy the boys when they were born. God did not allow that to happen, and the boys continued to be born, and the women explained to Pharaoh that by the time they got to the house, the kid was already born. And so they didn't kill it. And finally, instructions went out to the Hebrew people themselves. You are to destroy Every boy born in your midst. This was the instruction. And there, no doubt, were severe penalties for failing to abide by it. And so here comes a a man who has a child, man and wife, and they hide this baby because they could not stand to kill it. They hide him for three months until they felt that they could hide him no longer, and then the mother took a, made a little basket and, and uh, plastered it over with tar, pitch of some sort, wrapped the little boy up in a bundle and put him in the basket and set him on the Nile River, and allowed that little basket to float down where she knew Pharaoh's daughter would be taking her bath in the Nile River. And women being what they were, Pharaoh's daughter looked out there and heard that baby crying in the basket and had her girls go get it and bring it in. And she became, uh, the mother instinct took over and she couldn't tolerate even though she knew it was a Hebrew baby to have anything happen to it. And of course Miriam, Moses' sister, was close by, being an older girl, and offered to find somebody who would nurse the baby or Pharaoh's daughter, and of course she got her mother, and so the mother had the baby in her care until it was weaned, which would have been three years. That's all this mother had to instill within that child all she was going to instill within it, because at the end of the weaning period the child, the baby now, who's three years old, is taken to Pharaoh's house and lives as an Egyptian and grows up as an Egyptian. He was being tutored to become the next Pharaoh. That was his education. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter and should have been the Pharaoh in due time. So three years is all she had, thereabouts. One day, Now a man who is approaching 40 years old, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, goes out into the fields to see how things are going, and he observes an Egyptian that was beating up on a Hebrew. Now, Immediately, the blood rose in Moses, who could not tolerate seeing one of his brothers, and he knew that he was a brother, a fellow Hebrew, uh, because of what had been instilled in him, evidently by his mother, and he simply killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. The next day, two Hebrews were fighting. And he tried to part them, and they said, "Are you going to kill one of us like you killed that Egyptian yesterday?" Then Moses knew that he hadn't gotten by with the murder, and it was known, and he had to flee for his life. And he went across the uh, the sea, over into the desert to Midian, and there he finally uh, finds a wife, uh the daughter of a fellow by the name of Jethro. And uh, he marries Zipporah, that's in verse 21 of chapter 2, I think you'll find that. Uh, One of uh, Jethro's, or Ruel, he sometimes is called, and he's identified in verse 18 by the name Ruel. He marries this girl, and he has two sons. Now, he is a refugee, he is an escaped felon. He has lived in Egypt for 40 years, and now he is out in the wilderness. He marries there and is living there, and has apparently no relationship back to Egypt, except one day when he was tending his father-in-law's flocks, he was out on what I call the backside of the desert, and all alone and he sees a strange event. There was a bush on fire. Now, that wasn't strange. They tell us that in that desert, bushes being extremely dry and that high heat will burst into flame just, just for no reason because they're so tender dry. The thing that Moses observed was not the fact that there was bush on fire, but that it didn't burn out. The fire didn't quit burning it burned on and on and so he said I'm going to go see why this bush is burning so he goes over to the bush to see why it's burning and a strange thing happens he hears a voice the voice calls his name and tells him to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground in other words Moses you are in the presence of God and Moses didn't know that he was in the presence of God until he was told he was in the presence of God. And the thing that runs through my mind every time I read that is how many times have I actually been standing in very front of God? Didn't even know I was there. That's holy ground where God is. I think many times we have been confronted by God himself, by the Lord, or by the Holy Spirit and not aware that we actually were there. The conversation is, Moses, my people down in Egypt are being desperately mistreated and they're praying for deliverance. Pharaoh was making them Make bricks and build the cities of Egypt. Slave labor. They were being put to this task for two reasons. Number one was to build the cities. But more importantly was to hopefully reduce their numbers. Men who were being worked 18 hours a day or whatever their times were, would not have time or would be too tired to be producing families, and so he could reduce the number of boys that were being born, and therefore the number of his enemies should somebody take over the country or attempt to. But God says, Moses, I have heard their cry. Be absolutely sure. When we cry to God, God hears. He is aware he wants us to make our pleas. He wants us to tell him what the situation is, though he is fully aware of it. There is a tremendous desire on the part of a father to have a child ask. You all know that, or a mother. You know what a blessing it is to be able to say yes when a child asks. And God has that ultimate desire for his people, his children to ask. And he has heard them. And he has a plan to deliver them now away from the Egyptians and bring them into the promised land. He has that plan in mind. And he is tapping on the shoulder of Moses and saying, Moses, you're the man that's going to do it. God uses people to do his work. He uses men and women to send them out to perform his work. We do not see him doing it otherwise. If people are going to be saved, it is not by what angels might do. It's by what men are going to do. And I use men in general term. People. He has selected us to be the ones who carry his word wherever it goes. If we don't carry it, it does not go. Somebody said when it came to the uh, uh, preaching to the American Indian, if God wants them saved, He's perfectly capable of saving them all by Himself. We don't have to go out to do it. Well, that's that is narrow thinking. God can save them, but He has honored us by giving us the task to preach the gospel, and so He does the same thing with Moses. He'd go. I want you to go down there. And what does Moses do? Begin to make excuses. Sounds like modern day times. Doesn't it? When God says do something, we start explaining why we can't. First thing Moses said was, well, I, I have, uh, I stutter. I can't speak very well. There's no way in this world I can go down there and convince Pharaoh to let those people go. Because I stutter so bad I'd never get it out. Who am I? Why should you send me? And he began to make his excuses And God was getting a little perturbed with him, and he said, now look, your brother speaks well, Aaron, he is still in Egypt, but he's on his way to meet you, to find you. And so Aaron comes and finds him, and Moses runs out of excuses, and Moses goes down to lead the people out of Egypt. Now we are well acquainted with the fact that Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh and started performing of the various plagues that approached Egypt. There were ten of them. I'm not going to talk about them. It would take too long to talk about all the plagues tonight that happened to Egypt. But the last one is very important. Moses would say to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. The first thing Pharaoh said was, well, who is God that I should pay any attention to him? And finally, it got down to the point that Pharaoh wasn't quite so bold to say that, and he, he was getting tired of all the plagues and the suffering that was undergoing—boils and flies and lice and and frogs and blood—that was uh, water that was nothing but blood and and darkness and on and on and on things went. And so he would say, "All right, you can go." And then he changed his mind until finally. God said one last time, I am going to strike death in the home of both man and animal in all of the land of Egypt. We had time we'd talk about those plagues a little bit. first part of the plagues didn't affect the Hebrews, only the Egyptians. And finally, it got down to the point that all of them were going to be affected. The last one was the instructions that you must be covered by the blood of a lamb. And he instructed them, the Hebrews, to kill a lamb that was perfect, to prepare the meat to eat, to smear the blood on the door lintels outside your house, to have your shoes on, your clothes on, your things packed and ready on a moment's notice to march because... In one night, the death angel was going to pass over Egypt, an angel whose responsibility is death, and he is going to kill the oldest son in every household in all of Egypt, whether it was Egyptian or Hebrew, even including the animals. In every home that was not inside covered by the blood, and you know that statement has never changed yet, death will be struck to every person that's not covered by the blood. This was simply a forerunner of Christ's death upon the cross. And our lives are sprinkled with his blood. The blood is over our doorposts to cover our sins. When the death angel passed over, every home that did not have the blood sprinkled on the doorpost, the people were inside that house. The oldest of that family child died, including Pharaoh's son. This brought Pharaoh to his knees and he said, Go on, get out of here, run. And so they did and headed toward the the Red Sea. And Pharaoh changes his mind again and starts acting with his army. And there are these, I'm going to say three million because we don't know exactly, but approximately three million people on foot with their possessions on their back and in little carts and being pulled by their donkeys and all of this stuff and their their sheep and their cattle and whatever else. Can you imagine this tremendous horde? And there they are faced with crossing that sea. They suddenly look behind and see a cloud of dust in the background and realize that Pharaoh and his chariot army is after them. They are caught, as the proverbial statement is, between a rock and a hard place. Now what do they do? They begin to moan to Moses, and God said to Moses, Move your people forward, and you stand with your rod outstretched over that sea. And Moses did it, and the waters. From an east wind, the scripture says, and the ground was dry, not a muddy sea bottom, but dry ground. And he ordered them to march through there, and here this whole horde goes through that sea and up to safety on the other side. And then Moses withdraws his staff, and the waters come crashing together upon the army of the Egyptians. Many, many of their chariotmen and their chariots and their horses, of course, drowned in the sea. Well, they begin 40 years out there in the wilderness running around. Why? Because they could not get themselves in tune with God well enough to go in and take the Promised Land. Had they marched directly from the Red Sea to the Promised Land, they could have done it in a matter of days. That's not very far. Most of us could walk it without any trouble. But it took them 40 years of wandering around because they couldn't get their act together and worship God and depend upon it. They always had problems. First thing was that they ran out of water. And they started grumbling because they didn't have any water to drink. And Moses went to God and God provided them water. Then they didn't have any food. And they began to grumble again, and God provided them what we now know of as manna. It was a white flaky stuff that fell on the ground at night. The word manna means, what is it? And that's what they said, what is it? Nobody had ever seen anything like this before, but it tastes pretty good. They were instructed, you go out in the morning and you gather enough of this up for all day. And come the Sabbath day, on, on Friday, you gather, gather twice as much because on Saturday, the Sabbath day, there's not going to be any. Well, there were a few people who didn't believe that, and so they just gathered enough for the day. And on, on Saturday then, they didn't have anything to eat. They went hungry. There were a few other greedy people who said, well, my goodness, we'll hoard this up. And that stuff spoiled real quick. And then they didn't have any meat, and God sent them quail, and so they did quail. And on and on it went getting that people ready. Nobody entered the promised land that had come out of Egypt with the exception of two people, Joshua and Caleb, who had remained faithful. Even Moses did not forget to go in. God let Moses look into the promised land but because of Moses' attitude on one occasion when he... Uh, took credit for providing water for the people. God would not allow him to go in. He did not give God the credit, but he took it himself. Forty years they wandered. During that 40-year period, the laws were established. The methods of worship were established. And when the people finally went into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, they were able to conquer because they were now ready. I want to conclude then. I know this is extremely quick, but I want to go to the end of Deuteronomy. If you want to turn there with me, the very last chapter, chapter 34, down at verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him, that is, God buried him, in a valley in the land of Moab, no man knows his sepulcher until this day. The only person in the Bible that God performed the funeral service. The only one. God did the burial. Moses was 120 years old when he died, but the scripture says his eyes was not dim, nor his natural force bait. In other words, there was not a thing in the world wrong with the man. He was a physical specimen of a human being he didn't have anything wrong with him at 120 but it was his time to go and, and God took him I want, you to, I want you to notice some comparisons I've jotted down 11 comparisons and we won't have time to comment upon them because the time's going but I want you to listen to these comparisons of Moses to Christ both were saved from death when they were infants Both were tempted, but overcame the temptation. Both fasted for 40 days. Both had control over the sea. Both fed a multitude. Both had a radiant face. You may remember when Moses came down from the mountaintop after receiving the Ten Commandments, which we didn't have time to discuss. His face was shining, and he had to hide his face with the veil because it was too bright for the people to look upon. Uh, Jesus was this way at his transfiguration. Both uh, endured murmurings. Everybody wanted to murmur. Both were, uh, had difficulties at home. Moses was not accepted well with his people, and Jesus was not accepted by his hometown either. They did not, as a matter of fact, Jesus, they attempted to stone him, and Moses, they attempted to kill him on more than one occasion. Both were intercessors for the people. I think I need to comment, when it comes to Moses, after Moses came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, they, the people at the foot of the mountain, with Aaron as their leader, had made a golden calf to worship. That was the worship idol in Egypt. And Aaron explained to Moses, well, the people wanted a God, they wanted somebody to lead them, and I told them to take off all their gold, and he said, I took off all their gold, and I threw it the fire, and what do you know, this golden calf came out. Now, anybody believe that story? But that's what he explained. That gold can just, just popped out of the fire. And Moses became so angry that he threw down the tablets of the Ten Commandments and broke them. And God had to do it again, giving the Ten Commandments. But afterward, Moses was talking with God and God was so angry with the people for their sinfulness that he was about to destroy the whole lot. And in Exodus chapter 32 we find that Moses went to God and asked God to forgive them. And he said, if you will not forgive them then you just take my name off the road. And God responded to Moses' plea and forgave the people for their sins. I want preach a sermon on taking the name off the roll one of these days. Jesus was an intercessor as well and he pleaded in the garden for us. Both Jesus and Moses spoke for God. It's interesting that both of them at one time had 70 helpers. Jesus had 70 that he sent out into the highways and the hedges to preach. Moses had 70 elders that served him in the establishment of the government. A tremendous parallel. There probably is no greater individual in all of the Bible save Jesus himself and Moses. Probably, in my mind, the greatest individual in all the Bible. And I base that statement on that verse that I read as the text, chapter 33 and verse 11, when it talks about Moses and God speaking face-to-face man who speaks with his friend. I don't know how close any of us would come to that. Probably not very close. But here was a man of God. Not a perfect man. A man who had murdered. A man who was weak in faith. A man who assumed responsibilities and claimed things in his own name that he should not have. But nevertheless, a man that God would talk to face to face and set up a nation that would bring the Lord Jesus into this world. Let's pray.